0: Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com.
2: By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at VortexOptics.com.
1: And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com.
3: And beauty books an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. beauty
1: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to our show number 947. Here's a wildlife society headline worth noting. Painting a single wind turbine blade saves birds' lives. We reported back in 2020 on a lab study addressing the problem of wind turbines or turbines' effect on birds through collisions with the blades. The study suggested that painting one of the three blades on the turbine might prevent birds from crashing into them. Well, now there's a kind of a real-world development about this. Researchers in Norway say that changing the color of just one blade from white to black resulted in a 70% decrease in bird fatalities, with the strongest effect being shown among raptors. The new study found that painting one of the three blades seemed to create a visual clue that interrupted something called motion smear, which can make the whirling blades hard for birds to detect. There is a caveat, though, further study of the data showed some variation in the effects depending on the season with an increase in fatalities in the summer on the painted turbine blades. The researchers say the small number of turbines tested in relatively short time mean longer-term studies are needed. But all in all, it seems a hopeful sign that maybe wind turbines and birds really can coexist want to say hello to our friend Gino Ellison, who's in the middle of a North American big year with the goal of IDing 700 species of birds by the end of 2023. He tells us he's already passed, I hope I have this right, the 600 species mark. And we'll be welcoming Gino to the show in a couple of weeks for an update on his next stop somewhere in Alaska. Meanwhile, our Freya McGregor is not all that far from Alaska, as we're about to hear in this audio postcard that she sent us from the coast of Oregon, where she's on the lookout for tufted puffins.
3: Hi, everybody. It's Freya McGregor here. I'm not sure if you can hear all the squawking and wailing of these birds over the sound of the ocean, but I am at Haystack Rock, which is a giant haystack-looking rock uh, right on the edge of the beach at Cannon Beach in Oregon and haystack rock is famous because it's very very steep and tall and tufted puffins among other birds nest on it and i've been standing here for about half an hour lots and lots of common mews. Um, they're kind of penguin looking birds uh, they're related to puffins Lots and lots of them. Lots of girls that I haven't uh, spent any effort trying to figure out because girls aren't my strong suit. And then finally, finally, uh, a an all black bird flew in, but its little orange feet were dangling down underneath it as it landed. Bingo! And it turned. Once it landed, it turned and looked at me with a big white face and a giant orange bill and a very pale yellow feathers uh, kind of artfully curled around its face oh yeah and of course as soon as I saw it there were three There's other tufted there. puffins right where it landed as well I just hadn't seen same named yet so pretty excited about that all right <laughs> bye
1: <laughs> all right Freya and the tufted puffins out there at Cannon Beach in Oregon well Freya started this whole audio postcard Phenomenon! Lots of listeners have joined in since with their own audio postcard, and we are encouraging more of them to make an audio postcard. Just go out with your phone and look at some birds wherever you are. Record a description of what you're seeing and send the file to Ray at That's Ray at talkingbirds.com, no G in talking. And if you need help doing it, send a note to that same address, and we'll be happy to assist. Meanwhile, speaking of Freya again. She was quoted in the August 3rd issue of the New York Times in an article about a blind birder entitled, Birds Are My Eyesight. It also features quotes from our friend Jerry Barrier, who's a blind birder from here in the Boston area, and Michael Herber, another friend of ours who's a vision-impaired birder from Minnesota. The Times article focuses on Susan Glass, who's a blind birder from Saratoga, California. That's the August third issue of the New York Times. We'd like to offer a very, very large thank you this morning to three amazing women who've represented Talkin' Birds at the big Southeast Arizona Birding Festival out in Tucson, put on by Tucson Audubon. They are Eliz Lindzer and Etienne Martin, both of whom are Talking Birds ambassadors from Mesa, Arizona, and Patty Brown from Chandler, Arizona. So, applause, please, from our Imaginary Studio audience here. Thank you you so much, Eliz and Etienne and Patty, for your wonderful efforts connecting us with the event. And congrats to our friend Luke Safford from Tucson Audubon for putting together that fabulous festival. We'll be posting some pictures soon. All right, here's a little true or false thing. It's about listening uh, live. Uh, true or false, you can listen live every Sunday morning at 9.30 Eastern, anywhere in the world, to Talking Birds with just an Internet-connected device, like a phone, tablet, uh, laptop, or desktop desktop computer. Tim is kind of thinking about that. What do you think, Tim? Is it possible? Or, I, I think I think it, it could be possible. There, yeah? I think we have the technology. Let me uh, open the envelope here because it has it. Yeah, it says true. Hey! Yeah. All right. <laughs> nice. Just go to TalkingBirds.com and click on the Listen tab to see how to do it. It's really easy. That's the Listen tab at TalkingBirds.com. And speaking of the mystery bird, here's a preview of the contest coming along a bit later.
0: I should be quiet here. Now. Yeah.
1: A, well, our mystery bird is a delicate Neotropical songbird with a green back, whitish underparts, gray crown, a thin white line over the eyes, and a thin bill. That's the male. Females tend to be more yellowish. Our bird is named after a U.S. state. No, it's not the Colorado clapper, even though it breeds way up in the boreal forest of Canada, where it specializes in eating the spruce budworm. It also feeds on other invertebrates, often plucking them from the outer foliage of trees and shrubs. Some clues there. And we also have a musical clue. We did this a couple of weeks ago. This is a very mellow musical clue this time. Here it is. I can see that Tim is thinking about this one, too. That's our musical clue for the Mystery Bird Contest coming along a little bit later on in this morning's show. Let's see. Um, Conservation Good News of the Week. The Biden administration this week signed a national monument designation for the Greater Grand Canyon, turning the decades-long vision of Native American tribes and environmentalists into reality. It's the new Ancestral Footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument that will protect more than 900 million acres of federal land while protecting thousands of Native American cultural sites in the area and some of the most biodiverse habitats in the region for bighorn sheep, mule deer, and bison, as well as many bird species, including peregrine falcons, bald eagles, and several species of owls and songbirds. A little conservation good news there. Here's our salute to more Talking Birds ambassadors, great Talking Birds listeners who are helping us get the word out about birds and conservation. Thank you to Jim Etall from Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you, Jim, for the kind words, and Jim says birds are sweet. Thank you, Jim. And thank you to Roy Boyle from Western Port, Maryland. He says, my wife had been listening a little over a year now. Love the show, the environmental, environmental bird news, and the mystery bird segments are our favorites, but we love the rest as well. Thank you, Roy. Roy sent us an audio postcard, by the way, that we aired back in June. That was show 938 on June 11th. Roy is doing a lot of amazing stuff, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more in next week's show about some of the good stuff that Roy is doing. Uh, meanwhile, another uh, ambassador from Maryland, Adele Claggett from Chester, Maryland, sent us a note saying, I have a website which I consider a labor of love, as they say. It began as a collection of my birding pictures but has turned into much more. It's now a site where you can learn about birds and birding. Her new site or her site includes a new edition called Birds in the Bins, which features some fascinating and informative interviews. We've visited Adele's uh, website, by the way, and it really is a delight. And the address is easy easy to remember. Uh, It's birding.pictures. That's birding.pictures. Really a wonderful site to visit. Thank you, Adele. As always, we invite Talking Birds listeners to join our now 800-plus strong family of ambassadors. Easy to do and easy to sign up for at TalkinBirds.com. And it really is a big, big help to us around here as we try to spread the word about the wonder of birds and the importance of conservation. Still to come today, we'll attempt to answer an intriguing question about an apparent and hitherto unknown bird behavior That'll be when our Debbie Bleacher joins us in the Talking Birds science corner. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for a Let's Ask Mike live segment about why he's taken down his bird feeders. Oh, my goodness. He did what? I know. Oh, Mike, how could you? I hope you're going to be all right, Tim. Gosh, I I think I'll be all right. And up next, today's Featured Feathered Friend segment is presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, bird watching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding.
0: <laughs>
1: the origin of today's featured feathered friend can be traced to the forest lowlands of Central America. And at the beginning of the 20th century, its range extended only as far north as southern Texas. But by the 1960s, it had expanded its range up into Iowa and out to California. Our bird is the great-tailed grackle. The male is a big, bold, yet slender blackbird with shimmering iridescent black and purple plumage, long legs, a long tail, a stout bill, and piercing yellow eyes. The much smaller females are a rich brown above and pale brown below. According to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, the smaller size of female chicks means they need less food and are more likely to survive to fledging than their brothers, and adult females tend to outlive males with the result that they exist in greater numbers than males. Great-tailed grackles feed year-round on plant matter like corn, sorghum, oats, and fruits, and in summer on insects, spiders, snails, and worms. They also venture into shallow water to capture tadpoles, frogs, and fish, and they'll eat small mammals as well as bird eggs and nestlings. Great-tailed grackles are known to recognize individual humans who are doing research in the birds breeding colonies and they'll signal that recognition with an alarm call. In measurements made between 1966 and 2019, great-tailed grackle populations have been stable or slightly increasing across their range. Partners in Flight rates them as of low conservation concern with a worldwide population of about 30 million individuals. Our featured feathered friend was imported into central Mexico for its feathers in the 15th century, and its scientific name reflects that Mexican connection. It's Quiscalus Mexicanus, the great-tailed grackle. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 947. We're featuring a lot of in-house talent on the show this morning, and that includes our own Debbie Bleacher, whom we're about to meet up with in the Talkin' Birds Science Corner. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Good morning, Debbie.
2: Good morning, Ray.
1: So you're going to tell us about something that people and some other creatures do, but that we didn't know birds might do. (laughs) And that thing is... Dreaming. Ooh.
2: Birds probably dream. And they might dream of flying. Wow. A team of researchers in Germany just published a paper on this in the journal Nature Communications.
1: That is pretty cool. Uh, how did these scientists figure this out?
2: <laughs> to be honest, more easily than I thought. You can't exactly ask a bird to keep a dream journal.
1: I've seen their penmanship. Looks like hen scratching. <laughs>
2: Right. (laughs) So the researchers used 15 pigeons for this, you know, rock pigeons, the ones we find in cities. Mm -hmm. And they trained them to sleep with equipment running, infrared video cameras and functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI. And the pigeons slept while the machines made recordings. Then the researchers studied the readouts.
1: Sounds like a pretty cushy assignment for the pigeons. And what did the researchers find?
2: Well, you know how humans have a phase of sleep in which our eyes move rapidly? It's called REM sleep or REM yeah. sleep or rapid mm-hmm. eye movement. Yeah. And that's when we dream pigeons have transparent eyelids. So the team was able to assess their eye movements in the videos. Ooh. And what do you know? Their eyes moved like ours do. Every land mammal seems to have REM sleep, but this is the first time anyone has looked for it in birds. Uh huh. Even more interesting, the fMRI picked up activity in a tiny part of the brain called the amygdala. Mm-hmm. The amygdala acts like a processing center for emotions. Its activity during REM sleep means that the pigeons probably experienced emotions while dreaming. In fact, the video showed their pupils dilating and contracting, which for Uh, pigeons has to do with aggression and courtship. So these might have been pretty emotional dreams.
1: And did they dream about flying?
2: Quite possibly. During the REM sleep, there was strong activity in brain regions responsible for visual processing, including the regions that analyze the movement of a pigeon's surroundings when it flies. Hmm. Also, there was activity in areas of the brain that process signals from the body, especially the wings. So, yeah, they might dream of flying.
1: Wow. So it sounds like at least pigeons dream somewhat like we do, and are there any differences?
2: Yes mostly having to do with the flow of cerebrospinal fluid, or or CSF. During Mm -hmm. sleep, CSF circulates throughout an animal's brain, flushing out toxins. In our brains, this happens no matter what phase of sleep we're in. But in pigeons, this CSF flushing seems to stop during REM sleep.
1: Okay, and what's the significance of that difference?
2: Nobody's sure yet. Uh, But presumably pigeon brains need as much flushing as ours do. So the researchers (laughs) want to follow up with more direct studies of how bird brains remove waste.
1: All right, final question. Why is it important to know whether birds dream or not?
2: Great question. Any insight into an animal's brain can help us understand more about our own brain and it can provide insights into brain evolution. Mm -hmm. Also, if we learn what that avian waste removal mechanism is, we might be able to invent a way to use it to help people whose brains have trouble circulating CSF, such as folks with Alzheimer's disease.
1: Mm, Okay. Fascinating and important stuff. Thanks, Debbie.
2: You're welcome, Ray.
1: Up next, our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-Vortex, or visit vortexoptics.com. There's our mystery bird. It's a delicate, neotropical songbird with a green back, whitish underparts, gray crown, thin white line over the eyes, and a thin bill. That's the male. Females tend to be more... Yellowish, what's our mystery bird? Here's the big thing I want to mention here. Our mystery bird contest winner today will be eligible in a big drawing on September 3rd for this prize, the Vortex Viper HD 8x42 binocular. It's about a $500 retail value. and The mystery bird winners in the last just about half a dozen shows, so the odds are really good will be entered into that drawing. So if you're the winner on the Mystery Bird Contest this morning, then you're eligible for that big drawing. And that's, of course, whether you win by getting the right answer or by way of our drawing today. The main thing is to call in at 781-837-4900 for today's prize as well, and that's a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. That's our prize for this morning, in addition to the chance to win that uh, beautiful binocular from Vortex Optics. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute.
0: Have you ever dreamed of owning a bookstore? Beauty of Books, a fixture in the birding community for over 50 years, is for sale. With our unique blend of high-tech and old-fashioned customer service, beauty books has remained successful and strong. This thriving business offers the largest selection of new, used, and rare bird books in the world and needs only a new owner who's passionate about birds and books. If you or someone you know would like more information, contact us at customer service at beautyobooks.com. Thanks.
2: Quest Nature Tours has offered exceptional tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. In 2023, join us in search of colorful bird life and jaguars in Brazil or on our brand new Zambia Safari. See amazing wildlife and explore habitats with travel companions who truly enjoy nature. Talkin' Birds listeners receive a $150 credit towards their first tour. Visit QuestNatureTours.com today. Birds and much more. Guaranteed.
1: Oh, well, we have a topic today that's, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit scandalous or shocking might be the words there. Headline, Mike O'Connor has taken down his bird feeders. Whew. What is the reason for this? This must be a pretty good, pretty good reason here. Well, allow me to get over this for a few minutes, but otherwise, nice, nice dramatic
0: yeah. buildup. I like that.
1: But. Yeah, well, it deserves it. I think I mean, that's a dramatic headline there, wouldn't you
0: say? I mean, so. you know, even I can't afford the price of birdseed anymore. That's what's going. on.
1: And it's wholesale. I know. I don't know. So, wow. so what's the deal, Mike? You take you have taken down your bird feeders. That's the that's the thing. Yes, I, I
0: have because I looked out the other day and. Uh, um, one of the birds, a house finch, had a, its eye was crusted over, swollen over, ah. which is uh, a detailed sign that this bird has um, contracted mm-hmm. a illness now known as house finch conjunctivitis or yeah. house finch eye disease. And and you know you can ask Lou Gehrig. It's never a good thing when they name a disease <laughs> after you. So that's what they named it after. House finches and house finches, as I think probably all know, maybe we don't, but house finches are very popular here in the east. But they were introduced from the west coast in the 40s as cage birds, back when we used to put everything in cages, and that was illegal. So the pet owner in New York, I think Long Island or maybe Manhattan, instead of going to jail. Let the, let the evidence fly away, let them all fly away. And from a small population of maybe 40, 50 birds, expanded into the millions that we have pretty much throughout the country now. And this, the eye disease first started showing up in, in the early 90s, and it was common in uh, poultry and, you know, chicken farms and duck farms, turkey farms and stuff like that but then somehow made the jump to house finches. Now, why it jumped to house finches, they're not sure, but a good theory is since this house finches millions came from a small genetic pool of that 40 or 50 from California that is a little bit more susceptible to illnesses, and they caught this disease and they're spreading it around. Now, it spread around pretty rapidly and, in the, and a couple of years ago, maybe like Ten years ago, they had killed millions of house finches, just this one disease. And then the birds seemed to have adjusted, and they seemed to build up a, a, a immunity, and they came back strong. And now I have a lot of house finches in my yard when I didn't have any for a long time. Well, now, you know, the illnesses and viruses change, and it seem to be coming back again. So once I saw it on the feeder, and this is what I did, and this is what probably everybody should do. If you see an ill bird of any kind, you've puffed out sick bird or with its eyes Close. Take your feeders down, clean them off, use a little bleach solution, and then let it go for a couple of weeks or so until uh, the, the bird is either healed because they do get better, or uh, or they don't. And a lot of times they get eaten by a hawk because they lose some of their vision or they just die because of the illness. They're not strong enough to beat it, and then it, eventually you can put your feeders back out. Thank goodness, and then you, you can uh, it's safe to do that again. But anytime you see something unusual on the feeder of the a sick bird or you don't like what's going on take your feeders and clean them off and wait a little while till it comes back and you know you can you can put masks on them but that's hard to do not everybody has the patience for
1: that yeah not that you haven't tried it right
0: no <laughs> not that I haven't tried but it's, not, it's it's mammal safe so don't worry about it it's okay. not gonna get the your, your eyes are safe right, for for the time being
1: good, good to know i'll keep the glasses on anyway just in case <laughs> all right mike thank you and we'll talk next week Sounds groovy. See you later. Mike O'Connor at the famous Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod, and we will uh, return, uh, meanwhile, to the Mystery Bird Contest. You uh, are hearing the sound of the bird, even though I'm kind of talking over it. A delicate neotropical songbird, a green back, whitish underparts, gray crown, a thin white line over the eyes, and a thin bill. It's the male. And Betsy in Plymouth, Massachusetts, uh, America's hometown, has uh, perhaps an answer for us there. Good morning, Betsy. Morning Ray, how are you this morning? Doing, doing well. Betsy, thank you. And you heard the clue and all the rest of that stuff. And uh, what do you say for the uh, mystery bird there? How about a Tennessee warbler? How about a Tennessee warbler? That sounds like a, a winning uh, effect right there. Yeah, Tennessee warbler. Uh, actually, uh, correct. This is one of those birds, kind of a little bit misnamed. It's not doesn't breed in Tennessee, but I, I guess it was first spotted there, so that's how the name got stuck to it. Uh, Betsy, I think we have time for a a bonus question. You want to go for it? What do you think? I'll I'll give it a try, right? We have a wonderful prize from our friends at Feather Friendly. Here's the question. Birds that live in cities tend to change their behavior to do things like expanding the kinds of food they will eat. Scientists have come up with a name for this behavior. What is that name? Is it A, city adaptation effect? B, that's C A E. A uh, B is um, urban, uh, urban uh, trait. Wait a minute, uh, my screen is faded out here. Urban trait syndrome. That would be B, uh, and C would be French fry fever. So it would be one of those three. There's only three to choose from. There. What do you think, uh, Betsy?
0: Um, perhaps A.
1: A would be city adaptation effect. Tim, is that uh, the right the right answer? no apparently oh Oh. sorry Sorry. yes sorry yeah it's actually called urban trait syndrome in which city birds tend to be smaller eat a wider variety of foods and produce smaller clutches than their rural counterparts but have higher survival rates as a result betsy thank you so much you've won the other prizes so stay on the line and we'll make arrangements there
0: Okay, thank you, Ray. Have a great
1: day. Thank you so much, Betsy. Next week on our show, John Middleton from Four Rivers Audubon will be here to tell us about their plurting expert, uh, ex. what's the word I'm looking for, exploits down there in north central Florida. So we'll be welcoming John to the show. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, and our special guest engineer today. That would be Tim McKinney.
2: Timber!
1: I'm Ray Brown, and see you next week.
0: Ray Brown's Talking Birds
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers Watchers General Store Orleans, Cape Cod BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com
2: By Vortex Optics With the VIP warranty Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered Learn more at VortexOptics.com
1: And Quest Nature Tours Offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970 Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com.
3: And UDO Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world.